to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast with your hosts, Jeremy Thake and Paul Schaeflein. Each week, you'll catch us speaking to expert developers about new tech, lessons learned, and opinions in the space. Hey, Jeremy, how are you today? Hey, buddy, how are you? How's your uh, first week at adding 365? Uh, my first week is excellent. Uh, after being solo for many years, joining up with other developers is always great because I can talk to people who understand what I'm talking about. So that's always real exciting. <laughs> and uh, did you have a remote induction? You've not gone over to sunny London yet? Uh, I have not gone over to sunny London yet. So but on the roadmap, but... Uh, that, not just yet. You'll have to make sure when you go over there, he uh, takes you for a burn in his uh, new Focus. I, it's funny, <gasps> Americans won't understand what why a Focus RS is an amazing car to drive. And it was one I actually contemplated myself. But uh, Wes has got one, and he'll definitely scare the pants out of you when he drives you around London in that thing. I didn't know you could drive all that crazy in London, so... Well, I'm sure he's found somewhere. <laughs> yeah, I'll bet. <laughs> so what's up with you this week? Uh, well, obviously Ignite is not far away, and um, I have the honor and privilege of speaking with Yina on stage as part of the graph overview session that we've traditionally done for the last few years. As a, here's everything we're announcing, and here are some cool new demos, and go check out these breakout sessions and tips and tricks and different things. So I'm putting those slides together with Yina at the moment, and so I am extremely busy on top of everything else that I uh, do in my normal day-to-day with a graph. So uh, I'm I'm kind of looking forward to just hitting goodnight and just be able to meet everyone and present and then take that sigh of relief after the session's over and done with. Yeah, well, I can certainly say uh, I'm looking very forward to new things coming out of the graph. And obviously, the you and Unit together is always uh, two great presenters should be a great session. So looking forward to that. That's one of the few I've bookmarked. I'm not going to do too many, probably a lot of uh, customer meetings and just catching up with folks. So looking forward to it yeah it's going to be interesting there is one big bit that i think everyone's going to be like wow this is incredible that i'm looking forward to kind of showcase that one's coming in real hot so um it'll be interesting to see how much of the demo we can actually show in the <laughs> session yeah. and, I, and, and our goal i don't i know we didn't talk about this ahead of time but our, our goal in the podcast is to get the people behind these things uh to talk about it when it's time so uh yeah, and what's been great is a lot of these PMs are actually listening to the show uh, now um, in fear of me bagging them or <laughs> saying something I shouldn't be saying. Um, or maybe they just like listening and learning. But um, well, <laughs> they've all asked specifically to be on the show. So with the next few weeks are going to be um, some really cool kind of deep dives into the, the stuff and the opportunity for us to kind of ask some of the more curly questions that maybe don't come across in some of the Ignite sessions where they're just presenting back to the audience so, um, yeah, definitely watch out for the podcast coming out post-Ignite. Excellent. And in the spirit of Ignite, we had an actual uh, release announcement this week. you want to touch off a little bit on that? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think pretty much all of our news is SharePoint this week. So, I mean, we, we're trying to make this about Office, uh, M365. And uh, this week, SharePoint has just gone gun ho and all their community guys are blogging like crazy. But I think the biggest announcement, um, and it, obviously for personally, for me in my role, is that the SharePoint framework V1.6 has actually been released. Uh, I know Eric Overfield mentioned in the podcast last week that w- when we talked to him. Um, and the big part about that is, is that 
now the Microsoft Graph client uh, is in there. So if you're building SPFX web parts and you want to call the graph, um, those clients are actually um, available um, in, in that service, which is great. And I, I believe the way they're de defining that is kind of generally available um, version of the client rather than before being a preview. So um, we've already seen a ton of people using this. Um, and, and because it's sharing the ID, the app ID of the page context, we, we can see kind of a bit of activity. Um, we can't see as much as we'd like because obviously if each individual web part was using its own app ID, we'd have more granular of what's going on. So it is kind of merged into the activity the rest of the page is doing. But um, it's going to be interesting to see how much spike we see on different paths on the graph that SharePoint doesn't out of the box call. I know this has been a much anticipated release by many people in these two capabilities, specifically the graph client and the AAD client. So it's uh, exciting times and uh, I certainly should unblock a lot of users. And uh, I agree that, uh, well, the um, other other people, other people trying to call up other parts of Microsoft Office or Microsoft 365, as we, you know, we mentioned saw SharePoint this week, but other workloads as well. It's going to be a similar pattern, I would expect, or at least people get more people exposed to it. And, and maybe so it's I'm hoping it bootstraps the, the the workloads that we can see out in the world. Yeah. And the, the SharePoint starter kit open source repo, which they link to in that blog post, has a ton of examples of graph web parts that are pulling from, you know, people api and calendar api and files api and so forth so yeah i'm stoked to see what people do with it now that'd be great and the one of the people behind that release uh vesa you've been in has started a, a video blog along with waldek mastercars called the sharepoint dev weekly this yeah, is if we don't see enough of this guy already now he's starting his own weekly tv show exactly exactly and and he uh made a shout out to us in this most recent episode and and thanks guys and and back at you so a little bit of inception there with us uh, referencing each other but the idea of what they're covering is is obviously sharepoint specific news so that's the the sharepoint dev weekly so they'll do more in-depth stuff and it's certainly worth checking out if uh, if you can spare the time, and you don't mind listening to more Finglish. But uh, <laughs> he does uh, he, he does cover lots of information there, and so uh, awesome to see those guys going on with that. And thanks for yeah, the shout out, guys. Appreciate it. Yeah, that's awesome. And you know, like the, I I like the video format. I do find myself though that you know my spare time is in my commute. And so the you know, podcasts are a little bit more easy. So I did suggest to Vesa that maybe they port those things into a, a podcast format as well, but we'll see how they go with it. But yeah, um, yeah it's good to kind of see Waldeck out um, on screen doing a bunch of stuff too, which is great. Yes, indeed. And then um, in terms of the other aspects of the community, um, talking of Waldeck, um, I mean, again, we, I mentioned this last week. There's a, there's a few bloggers out there that just are key if you're in this M365 dev space that you should be following. Um, I mentioned Chris O'Brien last week uh, in, the, in the community call that we did with the graph. Um, but also uh, Waldeck is one of those ones that when I started off in my world of development that some of his posts just saved me. And, you know, there is no shame in the fact of agreeing that I copied and pasted a lot of his stuff into projects that I then charge customers for. Um, and that's just what he's always done. And one of the 
very contentious issues at the moment. And then I, again, I'll repeat, there are a ton of things going on internally around throttling on the graph side um, is this kind of 429 too many requests aspect. And um, Waldex posts is specifically on the SharePoint REST API, not on the graph. Um, and SharePoint have actually added a... Um, a new uh, query parameter of test 429 equals true, which will basically simulate that the throttling has kicked in. And so what he's actually written a blog about is putting Fiddler in between your traffic, between your web application and the interwebs, and adding a custom rule that actually forces that on every single call. Um, and then, therefore, making sure that your application is handling the throttling correctly. Um, and so I, I kind of really like that approach of being able to kind of test that you have done the right thing by throttling. And, um, you know, there's some guidance that we're going to be coming out with from a Microsoft perspective around this on the graph. Um, I've been um, basically sending a few flames for email based on a lot of GitHub and Stack Overflow questions we get around throttling and the confusing that, confusion there. So it's good to see that. Wardex blogged about that for sure, and um, definitely give that a read if you're doing anything against the share, SharePoint REST endpoint directly, and uh, we'll do a similar thing against the graph shortly too. And there's concepts that you'll you can practice, and he talks about really apply to any REST service. So don't let the fact that it's not necessarily on your favorite API at the moment block you. It certainly can be something you think about. And your code should your code care whether it's SharePoint or not? No, absolutely. So excellent. Uh, Posts as usual from Waldeck. Thank you very much. Uh, I found an interesting article uh, a few weeks back. So you mentioned Chris O'Brien, but he works with uh, another recent MV named. I'm going to butcher this. Uh, interestingly, he has the phonetic pronunciation <laughs> on his blog post, but I'll probably still get it wrong. But it's Verdaman Despante. And Verdaman, again, if I apologize if it's wrong, but he works with, with Chris as well as a recent MVP. But he has a blog post that's using Azure durable functions to sync SharePoint user profiles. And while you may say, well, hmm, that's kind of interesting. We have you know, AD Connect or we can be using SharePoint sync process as well. But for various reasons, they had a business need to do that outside of that. And so this is a great step-by-step uh, -step process of showing how you can use the Azure durable functions capability to update SharePoint user profiles. And while durable functions is somewhat new, it gets us closer to the long-running tasks, if you will, right? So if you think about Azure Functions, it's really serverless and supposed to be quick and stateless, obviously. But the durable function capability lets you uh, do some minor state, well, as much state processing as you need, as well as an orchestration layer in there. So it's a great article from uh, Vardaman, and uh, I strongly recommend that. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad that he uh, finally got his MVP as well because um, he's definitely one of those ones that, I mean, being mentored by Chris O'Brien is definitely one benefit in general. But, um, uh, yeah, it just shows the process works for those programs. Although I did just get an email being chased about my MVP contributions being slightly behind where I had to email the MVP lead to let them know I've actually taken a job back at Microsoft. So, um, you know, they must have been monitoring me and uh, I won't, won't get that puck for my... Uh, MVP pike for uh, any time soon. Um, and then another one that you should ultimately be following is Andrew Connell. I mean, if you're doing anything with SPFX, um, Andrew has a course through his company, Voitanos, 
and uh, he also has the Microsoft Cloud Show as well with CJ, my um, old CTO Hopefish. And he has finally put together, and he used the word finally too, and a long time coming in air quotes, put together a blog post on how to use Angular Elements with SharePoint Framework projects. And so, uh, I mean, have you used Angular Elements at all, Paul? I know you've done a fair bit of React. I have not done Angular Elements, though. I, I did not get too far down the Angular path before we saw the writing on the wall from the SharePoint Framework, and so I did, I kind of backed out and, and didn't go any further on that. Yeah, I mean, I did a whole stint with Angular um, back in the days when I was doing some work with the App Service team and Azure Functions team, but um, Elements wasn't around back then. But um, I know there were some issues with SPFX and getting these things to go, and, and now um, this, this four-part series is basically showing you how to get those things going. So if you are an Angular person and you're looking for a way to build um, SPFX web parts with them. Um, Andrew's post goes into a lot of detail, has some really uh, nice animated GIFs built into the blog post and a ton of uh, git, git, gists, what do I say, GIFs, a ton of gists in there for just grabbing parts of the code as well. So, you know, the, the level of quality you'd expect from AC on, on blog posts, so definitely go and check that out if you're looking to do anything around SPFX and Angular Elements. This is going to be an exciting or an interesting space to watch with the web component standard that is out now. And Angular Elements is one of those. And there's a couple others. I can't remember the name off the top of my head. But, yeah, so that'll be interesting stuff certainly coming down. And what fits naturally, I think, in SharePoint, we remember SharePoint initially was a portal uh, process. And there was a portal standard about putting components together in a page. So it's Nice to see we finally got to come back to our senses and, and can do that. So looking forward to seeing that that uh, work progress and, and get normalized, if you will. Uh, I found another interesting article. This was Stefan Bauer, who's, uh, who's also a Microsoft MVP, uh, does a lot of work in the uh, CSS web design area. In fact, his done work on the SharePoint framework as well as UI Fabric. And so he's got an article, he's talking about how he has integrated SharePoint themes using CSS variables. This is much needed uh, gap that he's filling here. The, in the past, you can do theming in SharePoint framework components using uh, SAS which is a compile time replacement of things in your CSS. But what he's using now is CSS variables, which lets you at runtime inject the right uh, color codes, if you will. So he's extended what the SharePoint framework gives us with the with the CSS variable processing. And so you can have your SharePoint framework components dynamically render using the theme of the site that users have chosen so we can play nice in that sandbox if you will to reuse a term and make things look just as our customers would expect them to do so another great article by stefan yeah i mean it's good to see these guys continue blogging as they do i mean they've been doing this for years as well and often i get questions like well how to become an mvp and it's like well go look at those guys and you know see if you can keep up with a level of blogging and sharing they're doing 
Um, and then, you know, you'll definitely get on our radar at Microsoft and be nominated for sure. Yeah, and, you know, that can be somewhat frightening. I can remember first to start getting involved and it took a while to get over the fact that you don't have to have the best idea. You don't have to have the, the most whiz bang stuff. If it's finding a gap or at least relating your experience on how to deal with the products and to help people, because you never know how you're going to find a solution to a problem, right? That, again, it's the, yeah. the not, you don't have to be the smartest guy in the room to be an MVP. I, I certainly am not. And so it certainly is uh, <laughs> worth worth getting involved and, and giving back to the community, whether it's uh, blogs or podcasts or or whatever the case may be. It certainly is helpful. And this is a, a wonderful example of a little thing like this. CSS variables, like I, I, I didn't know they existed. So it's nice to see he came across a technology or a new one and, and posted it in the context of SharePoint Framework. I'm thinking, oh, that's perfect. That that's, can be can be a great solution to things. I, I remember struggling with the themes when I was hacking around, so I, I look forward to that. Well, this week we had uh, another longtime SharePoint uh, MVP on the show, uh, Wichter Willen, uh, chatted. We didn't necessarily talk about SharePoint, but it was great to get Wichter involved to, to talk about his work on the digital workplace and teams. Excuse yeah, he, he was. it was good to get him on and... Uh... You know, he he kind of was really sharing his learnings on what they're doing in Avenard and 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 bits and pieces as well. And I I learned some things I didn't know about some of the stuff they're doing, which is cool. So uh, I enjoy the show, guys. I guess. And um, if you are at Ignite, like to repeat, come see us on the Graph booth. Paul, you're doing some work on some other booths as well. Yes, right? I will be at the Teams booth uh, in the middle of the week for a couple hour stints there. I I'm sure if I'm not busy. Uh, most of my time I'll probably spend in the expo hall while they're walking around, but yeah, so I'll be hanging out at the team's booth, but I'll be poking around. Certainly would love to chat. Cool. All right. Well, have a good week. Enjoy your Friday of your first week and uh, we'll see you in Orlando. Bye. Bye. Okay, so super lucky this week to have Victor Willen with us. So, um, welcome to the show, buddy. Thank you so much. Good to be here. Are you uh, are you at home? Yeah, I'm working from home. Been home all day, sitting in meetings. Uh, yeah, essentially meetings from from the morning until late this evening. I have two more meetings after this, and it's just what is it? Yeah, a quarter past seven. So it's a long day today. So um, people that don't know you, which I'm assuming is a you because you blog and you're on GitHub and you present at different conferences, but your accent isn't from around no, here no. like mine. So <laughs> where based, are you? Where are you from? Where you live? Yeah, where do you work? Based out of Sweden, Stockholm. Uh, Victor Villén worked for Avanad as our global innovation lead for Modern Workplace. Um, been in the SharePoint space for quite some time now. Uh, been blogging. I don't do that much blogging anymore. I tweet, uh, angry tweets sometimes. Uh, <laughs> But uh, I try to contribute quite a lot on GitHub, as you said, um, both in my pet projects, but also to the the stuff we have in there for Microsoft Teams, SharePoint, and, and whatnot. Uh, but but uh, SharePoint MVP, SharePoint MCM, a couple of other more acronyms. And what's the? You're wearing a baseball cap in the video. Is that an American team you're wearing? Guess what team? <laughs> it's Dallas Cowboys.
As I say, it's the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah, yeah, of course. Is that just a hat, or you actually follow the Cowboys? No, I follow them. Absolutely, plenty of hats and shirts. So, wow. Okay. Yeah. The the NFL has gone crazy. (laughs) Um, and so we've asked this the last few guests. At what age did you write your first line of code, and how did you get into it? Oh, my first line of code. That was really really early uh, the first line of code i actually wrote was in, in my mathematics uh, um, book instead of writing my my exercises i didn't have a computer but my friend had so i wrote some basic uh, programs in there and we went home to him and uh, and typed it in and see if it worked so that's where i started so at, uh, when i was 14 i think it was then i sold my first computer program to a scheduling program for my mother's wow. school what did you write? What did you write that? What did you write that in? Uh, that was actually a Turbo Pascal. Right. I actually talking of Turbo Pascal. Yeah. I was just listening to Anders Heidelberg. Um, Heiselberg. Probably get yeah. that name. Yeah. Heiselberg. Something. Yeah. yeah. Um, on our CTO, Microsoft CTO's new podcast, and he was talking about how he got into it and how when he went to college, they were teaching Turbo Pascal, and he'd written the original language spec. So he went yeah. into the classroom, and the lecturer didn't know was talking about this language, <laughs> and he's like, "Yeah, yeah, that's mine." Yeah, um, yeah. So, Pascal was a, a big thing then. The only thing I had to write code in previous to that was the the basic on the PC platform or uh, yeah, yeah, assembler. Assembler. I, I mm-hmm. essentially know the eighty eight to six assembler instructions and interrupts by head. For, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's a long time ago, right? Yeah. So your first computer was a what? It was actually a Toshiba laptop. That was my 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 dad's first PC at home with uh, yeah, I don't remember what DOS version and Windows version one on it. So that's really hard (laughs) in the days. What was yours, Paul? We've not asked you on this show. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Well, so the first computer I bought was a Commodore VIC-20, and it had literally a cassette tape that you did to reading and writing stuff, and I hacked on that. And then I uh, first program I wrote was what you would now call a spreadsheet, but to help reconcile the the daily uh, cash register at the bookstore at the high school that I worked at, written in the classic language <laughs> RPG. Yeah, my mom and dad never get, gave never me a bit or Commodore, so it was PC from, from start, from day one, essentially. Yeah, yeah. What yeah, about mine, you? Mine was a Commodore 64 with a tape. And, yeah, um, yeah. I started by buying the books where you could write mm. your own games. And so I endlessly <laughs> typed in these damn programs, sheets and sheets of code, and then decided to go back through the code and change it to change the concepts of the game. And that got me hooked. So mm-hmm. a long time ago now, how things have changed. Now the kids can do it on a iPad, dragging and dropping things onto screens and cloud-based AIs deciding yeah, becoming citizen whether developers. your character is going to get slaughtered or not. <laughs> I, I have to say, I, I didn't use Giphy back then, and I still don't want to use Giphy, so... <laughs> So, Wigner, how do we get from uh, that to the modern workplace? What does a modern workplace mean to to an organization such as Avanade? Yeah, and that's what a really good question. The modern day. workplace is a super broad topic. Yeah, and yeah, you know, I come from the SharePoint space, where which is a part of the technology used in the modern workplace, building those kind of collaboration, communication uh, solutions. But uh, in the, the pers- my perspective on modern workplace is much more. It's uh, the office I'm sitting in right now, uh, how we work together, the culture. Uh, but predominantly, the offerings we're working with is yeah the 
classic uh, cloud transformation, but then we have the, the value realization, how to get value out of that of a service such as Office 365 or Microsoft 365. But also the, uh, the big thing right now is more more or non-physical, it's the, the change. Uh, it's a huge change for for uh, all the different uh, workers out there getting acquainted with the new kind of tools. And I was reading a report today about virtual assistants and chatbots, how that, that will affect the way we work. And I think the cultural impact on this is going to be huge, uh, not for the, the, the new kids coming into work, the millennials, et cetera. They, they know this, but yeah, the old timers like us, it's... Uh, I have hard uh, actually working with the conversational UI or typing in and those kind of things. So I think that is the, the, ch the challenges we have in the modern workplace today and the, the pace of change. Uh, you guys release a lot of stuff from, from Redmond, for instance, uh, new features all the time and you know what the features. So how can we actually take them and make business value and uh, make our clients more profitable? And so what, what time, what point do you kind of discuss getting into custom development once they're, I mean, the reality is they have to be comfortable with kind of the out of the box modern workplace first to then want to ask for, we want this custom line of business solution built. You know, how does that conversation yeah, I mean, do? Does it, they typically come to you and ask, or are you kind of going there showcasing stuff and tempting them with yeah, some the, cool shiny things? That's one of the problem we have in this uh, business, thanks to the cloud transformation uh, or people moving to services or software as a service, such as 365 and SharePoint Online. Uh, On-premise, they were used to do a lot of customization and that was the development platform. And, the, and uh, yeah, I've done it thousands, no, not thousands, but many, many times, uh, customized SharePoint to, to so it doesn't look like SharePoint, but you cannot do that anymore. But in many cases, our clients are still there trying to do something with the service that they shouldn't do. So uh, some uh, some areas, some regions, some companies actually start to, to get on board and understanding, yeah, we, we're on these uh, famous uh, rails uh, go into the cloud and have to accept that. But yes, there's still plenty of development opportunities. But the, the good thing with that is we can now focus on business productivity and value instead of focusing on round corners and uh, colors and, and those kind of things. And that depends on which client and how mature they are and who you're talking to, of course, with the client, uh, how far they come. But we see uh, a lot of interesting stuff happening specifically around AI right now, uh, how we can actually improve the, uh, the value of the, the modern workplace uh, and the data you have in SharePoint. I see SharePoint as more or less as a content repository nowadays, but there's a lot of interesting data in there and in other databases and other data sources as well. But how can we use different kind of technologies and improve our business processes to, to get more value out of it, I would say. Yeah, and I think a lot of people have struggled with that. Uh, how to how to bring uh, um, AI to to productivity solutions? Obviously, you look at the the technical people and they say, "Oh, it's great! I can do a translation and uh, real time or something." But those mm -hmm. those real, honest to goodness, helpful gee, that was really nice, made it helpful uh, solutions using AI and all those other services certainly is the struggle, right? So, do you? I, I presume in, in your role is that's the kind of things you're looking to to find to, or help people get 
on board with? Absolutely. In the long game, uh, AI is super interesting, but also we have to look in the short game. Uh, and for instance, there are a lot of good, good AI stuff in 365. Just take a look at the Office Graph or the, the, the Microsoft Graph Insights. That is uh, AI on the tap, essentially. You get that, but start using that data. Uh, uh, but then you can extend it once you get started to get acquainted with both the technology and how the, uh, the actual users uh, interact with that information that they get. And I think that's super interesting to uh, you, to do that as a step-by-step -step approach kind of thing. Uh, there are good services in, in like the cognitive services, uh, the language recognition service, uh, just detecting the intent from the user, uh, what they're trying to do, uh, instead of having the classic search box. Uh, what are they actually searching for? Uh, it might not be the SharePoint search index, it might be in Dynamics 365, it might be in your SAP system and whatnot. But if we can use these technologies that we have at hand, uh, it's super interesting. And a simple thing as uh, text translation, uh, that is uh, one of the, uh, almost a commodity nowadays, how we can translate text. And that, But that's super important for me coming from the other side of the pond, uh, essentially everything being built uh, from out of uh, the, the Redmond, uh, uh, headquarters, uh, it is in English and will be in English for the first year or two or three. But we have all our clients uh, working in Swedish or in, in German or French, etc. So using automatic translation for that, and that is AI uh, really well used, I think. And so you mentioned the kind of Microsoft Graph Insights as one example. Like one thing I've been surprised about being back now for just over three months was this notion of in all of the client UIs now, they're actually calling those APIs for a variety of things. Wherever you go to, if you haven't done it, office.com now when you're signed in um, is giving you a really nice search experience that shows you kind of your recent documents, but documents that people are working on that are around you. And I guess from an enterprise dev perspective, the nice thing about that is, is that if you want to build that into your own UI in a, an existing portal you've got or start mining that and make decisions, you can do that because those APIs are available to everybody, oh, albeit they are in beta, so there are some different SLAs around that. But um, is that yeah, something exactly. that you're consuming with customers already? or? Yeah, it's precisely that. That's why, why I mentioned the, the Graph Insights, because it's super interesting. And, and Office.com is a nice start page, but uh, I had really hard selling that as a start page for an enterprise. And I personally don't use it either. But then... But if we can, it's the same data. We can get it through the APIs, and we can put that on a SharePoint page or any other kind of page, or in an app, or even in Microsoft Teams, and get access to that. And I think that's up to the end users to choose what, what kind of front end they want to, to use. I, I have really hard to see that single pane of glass uh, experience that we have one uh, area where we get all the information. It's up to the user where where she's at right now, uh, what context she's in, uh, is she on the phone or uh, might even using uh, like a headset or something like that to 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 uh, use uh, audio to interact with that data or having it read up. So I think that's that's how we build that, oh, and that's how we're also building our new internal digital hub. Is focusing on the, on those collaboration pieces and getting back to work and getting back to where you left work uh, yesterday, for instance. And that's perfect data coming out from from the graph insights, uh, your recent documents, uh, your your recent sites, but also other stuff that are not directly insights but a planner to do those kind of stuff that you need to take action on and that's super important to get uh, right in front of you right here right now uh, or on the device or wherever you're at as you mentioned the last couple of topics talk about ai and cognitive services and and getting this information and, and most people 
that who hear about these services, that single pane of glass you mentioned is Microsoft Teams. And and you actually wrote the, the Yeoman generator for the Microsoft <laughs> Teams, if you're for those node developers out there. So first of all, thank you for that. That's been incredibly helpful to me as well. And and so what has your experience been like? Or, or why did you get started writing that, that Yeoman generator? And what's your experience working with the Teams development scenarios? Yeah, so the reason for actually creating Generator to start with was that I started building out demos for Microsoft Teams and see how we could use that as one of these uh, panes to look into your data in Office 365. And, and I, uh, I didn't like the way uh, you had to clone a, a Git repository and start with that or it, handcrafting everything from scratch uh, with everything from JSON files to how you um, hook up uh, web services and bots and everything. So it started more more of a project that, okay, I need something to scaffold out the project for me to do my demos. But then I put, put it up on GitHub, got some uh, attraction to it, and uh, now it's a year and a half later. I think it's a pretty decent solution uh, that yeah you can get up and running within a few minutes, essentially. And actually last week, uh, Client, another client team asked me, we, we need to show this to a client, and it took me an hour or so to, to build the bots, to build a connector, to build a tab, and everything looked like it was seamlessly integrated into Teams, and it was actually using live data as well. So it's super easy to get up to speed uh, if you know uh, Node.js and TypeScript, of course, uh, which everything is built on. And it, I think you're underselling it there. And so this latest release, <laughs> Victor and I were chatting about this uh, last time we met, and and give us a little, like, so for developers who want to understand how to do these types of things. Can you give a little background? You talked about initially, the initial version that I saw had templates, a sip of the code, and it would just copy paste and boom, there you go. But the newest version yeah. does much more than that. Can you give us a little insight yes. as to what it's doing? Yeah, so the, the, the idea with the Joman generator or uh, it generates a set of files for you. And, and that's what I did. I took my pet project essentially and, and created a template of them and, and scaffolded that out. But what done now in the latest release is make it much more flexible. So a lot of that code that was produced is put into separate NPM packages so they can be updated without you having to update the generator. And there's some uh, integration with uh, or specifically around Teams, how to work with uh, secure pages in iframes and how to, to hook up the web servers for, for webhooks for connectors, etc. And all those are in separate packages, but also using like TypeScript declarators to declare this is a bot and this is connector, so you don't have to do that plumbing all by yourself. So all of that is taken care of by a separate uh, or actually two separate uh, node packages, but also including the the React controls and the styling from the, the Microsoft Teams team. Uh, so it actually looks like a native uh, Microsoft Teams app. So by running the generator, you choose what kind of uh, artifacts or features or extensions you want in your project, and it uh, scaffolds out all you need to, to get started and focus on producing your code instead of having a lot of plumbing in there. And yeah, and as I said, it allows me or the community to comp contribute with update to these kind of with updates to the plumbing. So uh, it's a live product product going forward. When Microsoft updates the bot framework, for instance, uh, with new releases, we you don't have to regenerate that or manually fix that. We can release that through those npm packages. So are you the core contributor? There are other people contributing to it already, or <laughs> yes, uh, there is. So we have a couple of uh, Richard Deserega, for, for instance, from Microsoft, helped out uh, a bit in the beginning. Uh, we have a couple of others doing both pull requests. Uh, we have Paul here. Uh, so there's a handful of people, but also we moved the, the, the generator from my GitHub repo to the official Office dev repo now. So uh, I have support from the, the Teams uh, app uh, extensibility team as well in this. 
And that going forward, you know, the Microsoft has announced uh, that some of the SharePoint framework components that can be built web parts, for example, are, their goal is to get those hosted inside of Teams. And so I think that this restructure you've done recently is ideal because as people do more and more work in SharePoint framework and we want to reuse some of that code, it'd be nice that the generator could tie into that or at least give us an easy way to pull that stuff in. So again, it's really pretty Absolutely. Uh, and stuff. That, that's what I'm looking for for the next releases. See what the, the Teams team are uh, announcing going forward uh, when it comes to that integration. Is, is there something we can integrate to the generator more? And also, uh, how can we even make it simpler together with the SharePoint framework, for instance, and to do those kind of things. And But what I have on my list right now is to get the authentication stuff in there as well. That is currently not part of the generator, but I'm looking into ways to actually uh, get our authentication piece so we can do spa tabs, for instance, or connectors about that authenticate to the, the Azure AD and you can have direct uh, access to the graph or any Azure AD authenticated um, uh, authentication required endpoint. And what's your take on, um, just interesting from your own personal opinion, on the fact that kind of you can have these SPFX web parts running in Teams as a tab? Like, uh, I'm always interested to see what the outside perspective is on, on that that decision and uh, where that where that's yeah. at right now. I think it's a good idea to start with, but but it's put some, uh, I would say, requirements on the, the SharePoint framework developer in that case because it's a different experience of having your web part in a page amongst other web parts, whereas in Teams you have a full canvas. You can essentially use a whole screen. So you need to... We don't know yet exactly how it will look like, uh, but but uh, you need to take care of that when you're hosted in team and actually take advantage of the full canvas. But absolutely, I really hope that we get a, get a more aligned development and extensibility model across the all the whole suite of Office 365 services. Right now, there's two different UI frameworks, two different uh, framework for scaffolder, scaffolding projects uh, and whatnot. So hopefully we we'll see that in the future, but still Teams has their way of, of doing stuff in Teams and, and I understand why they want to keep their kind of thing, but we I think we, we need to see more alignment there and hopefully we can do that. And as Paul and I discussed last time and we met both in Chicago and in Bellevue a couple of weeks back, uh, the adaptive cards I think could be super interesting for this, uh, rendering out adaptive cards using uh, essentially producing that, that, that adaptive cards and then have different renderings of that so it looks native to Teams or to SharePoint. So it doesn't really matter if you build a SharePoint framework web part. When it's in SharePoint, it looks like modern SharePoint. And it, when it's hosted in Teams, it looks like Teams. So that, I think that's one of those kind of things that we, we get a common uh, user interface model. Uh, with that said, it doesn't have to look the same, but it, the, the experience is the same. Well, and this initial uh, releases, if you will, if it's the developer doing the same types of tasks using similar tools and similar languages, I think that's a big productivity gain right there. So may, maybe the UI is different or maybe I, it's not exactly the same behaviors for the end users, but I don't know that they are in SharePoint and Teams side by side usually, right? They may be doing yeah. one or the other. So I think mm. getting that developer productivity is really helpful. Absolutely. So I'm, I'm excited. Yeah. And that's why I use uh, uh, Gulp TypeScript and, and, and Node and everything uh, for scaffolding out the project. So a lot of the logic you, ha you have, you can reuse in both. And, and we're actually doing that internally as well. We have a set of our own NPM packages that we can use both in SharePoint framework solutions and in, in team solutions. So it's TypeScript, JavaScript, NPM. If you live in that world, it's fairly easy actually to even create different UI experience if you want that, but you can still have the same kind of business logic. You can have same same kind of authentication, talking to the graph and whatnot. 
And so with your teams, as you're ramping up on these things, um, how do you, like, what's your way personally of ramping up and learning, like, TypeScript or a new approach? And how do you skill up your teams if they're, you know, they've come from a .NET world where the client side world is a little bit different, and especially with the kind of TypeScript learning curve? Like, what's your approach to your personal approach and how you do that oh, at a broad level with your team? My personal approach, uh, I, I would say I have no structured way of learning it and stuff, but but I, I like new shiny things. Uh, so, and, and I was fortunate to be early in, in the SharePoint framework discussions and understood what way they are they were taking uh, when it c- c- mm-hmm. comes to technology. So it was actually up to me. Uh, I went through a lot of plural site courses back then to learn that whole MPM world because that was new to me. But now it feels super natural to me. Uh, I haven't opened Visual Studio written a C-sharp uh, code in, in ages, it feels like. And uh, once I got my productivity pipeline and using all these kind of great tools that actually MPM has, uh, it, it's so much easier to build a demo or, or build something out or a proof of concept. But yes, of course, we, we have a lot of internal developers. And, and uh, if you're, you are a C-sharp developer by heart, it, it takes some uh, convincing to get over to that world. But if you're a SharePoint developer today, I think yeah, it's fairly fresh that we get something new instead of using ASP.NET web forms and, and those kind of things. So uh, I don't think anyone's complaining. And you get much demand from your customer. Like, do they push back at all, or are you finding that they're no, pretty I don't think open they, to? They it? don't care. We, yeah, we're hosting it in Azure, and if it's written in TypeScript or using Node, or if we're using C Sharp as a backend in Functions or web apps, they don't really care about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so uh, you're doing a lot of work in this uh, modern web stack development, and I'd like to get your opinion on, on an interesting article I read a few weeks back. And this gentleman, and I, I'm afraid I've, I don't have the link handy, but he was suggesting that with this newer computers and newer networks, the whole process of minimizing and bundling is, or minification, I guess, mm-hmm. is is less relevant, and, and you might actually get more benefit by having your code separate and having the browser cache them individually. Do you have a take on that, or what are you guiding oh, your customers to? Good question, and I uh, spent quite some time in the last uh, year and a half trying to optimize uh, client-side solutions on top of SharePoint framework. And you all know when when you download it or go to a modern SharePoint website, downloads like 100, 200 JavaScript files and stuff. Uh, so it is uh, you, you really need to do some kind of optimization, uh, and but. The problem right now, or the problem we're in the shift of being between HTTP 1.1 and HTTP 2, and that actually affects how you prefer to do your optimization. So for instance, HTTP 1.1, you only have a limited set of TCP connections, so you only want you want fewer packages. But if you can use HTTP 2, it's actually more favorable to use smaller packages, but have multiple of them. And also, I would say, I, I prefer splitting them up uh, in smaller packages and dynamically load them. Uh, and there's different ways of doing that in SharePoint Framework. Uh, some of them, or most of them, aren't well documented. Uh, we got some uh, new stuff up there the other week, thanks to Mikael Svensson. Uh, but there, that's how I prefer doing it. Minification, that's a very good question. I prefer doing that because it's, uh, if someone wants to take a look at my code, uh, it's a little bit harder for them. But yeah, yeah, it is, uh, and yeah, they don't see all the comments and, and how we written everything. <laughs> so yeah, but 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 there's a really good tool. I actually had to do a perf review 
a couple of weeks back of a mini, a minified code and and I actually in that case had a map file which I could just use a map file and JS file and get back and could see the, the full TypeScript code which made my whole process much easier so that you can always go back to almost the same code uh, even without the map files but uh, you, you should of course never put your IP and business log- logic in JavaScript, yeah, then hide it somewhere through a web service. And I think uh, the the message that you didn't say is, well, you should try it and test it and see what works best for your situation, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think it's depending on if you're putting a, uh, 10 more JavaScript pages on the SharePoint page, it doesn't really matter because uh, SharePoint already has so many JavaScript files. But if you're building something, something else, uh, it's of course worth looking into. Uh, and, and if we're talking about SharePoint framework specifically, I would say 90% of the code goes to the editing experience. So why load that um, when you're rendering and a so, web part? Uh, you, you mentioned about the business logic layer and burying that somewhere. What's your <laughs> first kind of recommendation for customers when you go out on site? Are you kind of brought into the whole serverless Azure functions or are you putting web services in containers or using something like PaaS, like app service? No, so we have, Essentially, two two approaches to that. Uh, if it's net new and you're going to start from scratch with something, uh, or you need to do some kind of integration, like we're doing right now internally, is uh, trying to to get this, our HR data into our SharePoint Online platform. And each country has their own HR system essentially, so we need to do a lot of integrations, and that's do, done through an, an Azure function. Right. Uh, or, Azure, or Azure Web App to host an API. That's super easy. Uh, but when I talk to clients, a lot of them have legacy data, of course, uh, mm-hmm. on-premise. So what we use there is the, the hybrid cloud connector in, in Azure um, using the service bus to essentially talk back to the on-premise. That's a very good solution to start with before they even can think about migrating that to, to the cloud. Uh, either they do a rewrite or they move, move to IaaS or even containerize. But no... I see very little use of containers in this case, unless you're trying to build out something really large scale uh, or trying to be an ISV or something. So it's either stay on premise and have a short, like a small kind of proxy through an Azure function or web app or build out your logic in functions and web apps. Web apps is, I would say, what we typically do because that's uh, you often have so much a little bit more than, than you can fit into a function and and what we're building internally now as well is our own graph the our Avanod graph for instance with integrations so our developers internally can can use those in a standardized rest interface just as you can use the microsoft graph well that's neat okay and so how are you like basically running almost a v team of entries or workloads like we call them internally to introduce your own like the HR system is going to be on the graph and there'll be other things as well. Yeah, so that's what we're looking into. We just launched it us now during the summer uh, where you can uh, internally get requests to it so you can start working with these services. But hopefully we can expand that further and add more services as, as we go. And, and uh, we have specked out how, how you should write your web services to get into to that graph if, if someone wants to build a local thing or, and whatnot. So if you want to give yourself a bonus, you just open up Postman and call yeah. the Post API. And... <laughs> yeah, almost. <laughs> Add a few extra t- days yeah. off. Although in Sweden, you guys get two months off a year anyway, right? Yeah, we do. Almost. <laughs> so we're getting close to the end of time, though, but I, I know that you're going to be at Ignite. Can you tell us a little bit about what your uh, activities will be at, at the conference? Yes. Uh, so I will uh, have one theater session uh, about scripting Microsoft Teams, uh, and that is uh, essentially based based on, on the requests I get from client. We need to 
be able to script up teams uh, either to pre-populate them with information or or want to do it in a more like templatized way so they can uh, you can request a team site of a certain type and get all those channels and whatnot uh, documents and whatnot added to it so i'll do that uh, with the combination of using uh, the, the the team's PowerShell, and also show off the Office 365 CLI, where we started adding some Teams commands to as well. So that will be a 20-minute short introduction to how to do that kind of templatize out your Teams in a structured way. And that's one of our, I would say, when it comes to Teams, before we had the Corp App Store, that was the highest request on Marshall Teams. We really want our Teams to look similar. We want to have these top, uh, templates in there, these tabs added and whatnot. Uh, then uh, we'll see if there's coming up some other interesting sessions as well, but I'm looking into, uh, hopefully we can get another team session uh, with some more dev stuff as well. And I assume you'll be around in the expo hall as people, well, typically we typically find ourselves there, don't we? Absolutely. <laughs> yes. That's awesome. Yes, exactly. So I'll, I'll try to be in the expo hall, uh, both uh, lurking around the Microsoft booths, uh, but also in the Avanade Accenture booth. So excellent, excellent. That's great. Well, this has uh, been wonderful. Is there anything uh, that you have left that you uh, we didn't cover off here? No, I think we covered up. I know it's kind of wide ranging. What? Yeah, where can people find you, Victor? Yeah. Where's like your Twitter handles and yeah, blogs? Exactly. So the uh, easiest way to get uh, hold of me is on Twitter. It's Victor W I C T O R, uh, or yeah, go to that Twitter account and you can find the the link to my blog, etc. That's the easiest way. I don't use the Instagram uh, or Snapchat. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I have a face for radio, so I don't use it either. Thanks I'm with so you. Much. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks a lot, Victor. Really appreciate you taking the time today, and we look forward to seeing you uh, at Ignite. Thanks, buddy. Thanks for listening to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast. Please follow us on Twitter at m365devpodcast and check out our show notes at www.m365devpodcast.com. To help us spread the word, we'd really appreciate it if you could retweet our episode tweets and give us a review on iTunes. That's all, folks. 